I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast. I'm John Clay, sports columnist with the Lexanero Leader and Kentucky.com. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about sports gambling in Kentucky. I talk with my guest, Steve Bittenbender, who covers sports gambling for BetKentucky.com. Steve has been the go-to guy for me on sports gambling issues in Kentucky, especially the legalization of sports betting, which was approved by the Kentucky legislature early this year. I hope to go, go live, goes into effect this fall, hopefully by the start of the the NFL season. I also talked to Steve about historical horse racing, the gaming halls in Kentucky, which seem to be growing every year, and what that has meant to the sport of thoroughbred racing in Kentucky as well. Uh, before we get to my interview with Steve, I want to remind you that you can go to Kentucky.com, hit on the subscription tab, and check out all the offers for subscriptions to the Lexington Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. We appreciate everybody who supports our work at Kentucky.com and the Lexington Herald Leader. I appreciate everybody who supports the podcast. You can find the podcast pretty much wherever you find podcasts. Leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple and Spotify. That really helps get the word out there about the podcast. Okay. Without any further ado, let's get to my interview with Steve Bittenbender of BetKentucky.com about historical race, horse racing and legalized sports gambling in Kentucky. Okay, my guest now on the podcast is Steve Bittenbender, who is my go-to guy for uh, sports gambling le- legislation, sports gambling in Kentucky. He covers it all from horse racing to sports betting. He was invaluable to me, a great follow during the Kentucky legislature when they uh, – Approved sports legalized sports betting in Kentucky. You can find Steve's work at Bet Kentucky, all one word, B E T Kentucky spelled out dot com. Steve, how are you doing? Doing great, John. Appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk with you today. First, Steve, I want to talk to. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. I uh, want to talk to you first of all. Uh, I want to talk to you a couple of things about historical horse racing in Kentucky, uh, and mm-hmm. also about the legalized sports gambling and what kind of effect you think that will have as well. Steve, I, I mean, I've read that I think it was over six billion dollars were bet last fiscal year at uh, historical horse racing sites. It looks like that number is going to be even higher this year. Have you been surprised at all at the success of uh, the gaming halls? I know. Um, Kentucky Downs, they've put Mint uh, Gaming Halls. They have one now in Williamsburg. Churchill has a very popular one, and they're building more. And obviously the Red Mile uh, affiliated with Keeneland here in Lexington. Have you been surprised at all at the success of these things? Not really. I mean, historical horse racing is 
to put in very rudimentary terms, a slot machine that uses past horse racing or horse races to determine the outcome of a of the handle pull. You know, right. you take a look at at how Indiana has done, and even Ohio. Uh, because of the casinos that are in um, the Cincinnati area, you know, they've attracted Kentucky residents for years. So to see, you know, to, to see historical horse racing do well in Kentucky is not necessarily a surprise. And also you kind of see Kentucky taking a page from Indiana and Ohio in that, you know, you've got one, you've got a big one in Franklin. You've got a big one in Oak Grove, which is right there between uh, Hopkinsville and Clarksville, Tennessee, and then you've got one now uh, in Williamstown, uh, or Williamsburg, excuse me, Williamsburg, excuse me. Uh, that's, you know, maybe 45 minutes from Knoxville. So, you know, it, it, it's not a surprise. You know, people do like to play slot machine type games. And it really is helping the state's horse racing industry by, fun, by fun, you know, this new revenue stream that's helping them, you know, bump up purses and also help, you know, uh, create a true uh, competitive year-round cycle for horse racing in the state. Okay, back up. I want to ask you about that, but back up a little bit. What uh, Can you explain? I know it's very complicated, but can you explain, as you mentioned, based on paramutual of historical sure. horse races, can you explain what that means? Sure. Uh, basically, a traditional Las Vegas-style slot machine uses what's called a random number generator to determine the winner, to determine if you win a, um, a, a pull on the slot machine handle. Right. Rather than using random number generator, historical horse racing machines use a number of previously run races and do an auto bet. Basically, you can do your own bet as well, but you have very basic handicapping uh, information available, and you've also got to put together, again, depending on the machine, a, a number of places for a number of races. So, you, you know, most people just go ahead and do the auto bet. And, you know, how that is determined, you know, how, how those races came out and how your bet uh, was made determines whether or not you win. Um, I, I, you can go from obviously the big jackpot to a, to a smaller um, winning amount. Right. Yeah, I've I've been to the Red Mile, and it's it's much easier just to hit that button. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Repeat your bet. Uh, how many historical racing uh, sites are there now in Kentucky? Well, let's see here. We have um, Kentucky Downs has two. The one obviously in Franklin and in Bowling Green. You have um, uh, another one in uh, Williamsburg, right. which will be um, tied with Corbin, which I believe um, that's a harness track that will be opening later this year. That's a, a collaboration between Kentucky Downs and Keeneland. Right. So that's you got four there. You got Red Mile is five. Turfway and Newport are seven. Derby City Gaming's eight. Ellis Park um, would be nine. Oak Grove would be 10. Number 11 should be opening later this year here in Louisville, which is the Derby City downtown. And just last night, uh, Churchill Downs announced that they are going to be looking to build another facility in uh, 
Davies County, east of Owensboro, that would support Ellis Park. Right. And each track will be able to have one. So you have nine tracks here in the state. Each track is allowed to have a satellite facility that's within 60 miles of it, but not within 60 miles of another track. Okay. So Revolutionary Racing, which is building a, uh, a quarter horse track in, Lect in uh, Ashland, right. they will be able to uh, offer historical horse racing when they open. I believe they're looking to open either next year or maybe 25. Uh, historical horse racing will probably open up sooner than that. But they'll be able to have that in Ashland, and then within 60 miles, whether it's Moorhead or if they go down south, um, you know, somewhere in the, in that area, they'd be able to have a satellite facility if they so choose. And then Oak Grove, the Churchill Down Harness Track, Churchill Downs Harness Track, uh, right there on the Tennessee line near Fort Campbell, would be able to uh, host a satellite facility still. So, number of uh, number of properties are still potentially um, available in the, in the state. Um, I believe the number the last time I checked was around 6,000 machines, although I can double check that for you here in a minute. Um, and, and it's only going to grow uh, for the next few years. And it, it, it provides, you know, it, it provides the, uh, the revenue stream that Churchill Downs and Keeneland and Kentucky Downs have used to uh, bolster their purses and attract quality cards for not just certain parts of their meats, but for their entire meats. Right. Is it safe to say that if uh, if it was not for historical horse racing or these gaming halls, uh, there might not be a harness track planned at Corbin or a quarter horse track planned at Ashland? Or Absolutely. It certainly makes it easier for them to build those facilities. E exactly. Exactly. Right. And now, okay, now we've got uh, legalized sports. Let's switch over now to legalized sports gambling. First of all, I'll ask you another surprise question. Were you surprised that the legislature uh, went on in a, after several tries and fails over the past uh, few years in trying to get sports gambling legalized that they finally went ahead and passed the bill to legalize it in Kentucky were you, during the special session held earlier this year? Were you surprised by that? Well, it, it wasn't a special session. It was the end of oh, that's the, right. That's right. Yeah, it was the end of the end of the twenty three session. Right. And I was a little surprised. I, I, from what I have been told, it seemed as if sports betting, if sports betting was going to pass, it was likely going to happen early when they returned from the veto period. Um, it was a it was a short session, um, and they adjourned in in mid March. Gave um, you know per rule, gave Governor Bashir uh, ten days to uh, veto any legislation that had been previously passed out of the uh, chamber. He um, you know they came back on the 29th and 30th of March. We were kind of expecting that you know th that the bill would likely pass on the 29th, and when it didn't. Um, you know, it seemed like it was in flux and seemed like it was going to be, well, wait again until next year. Um, you know, there was there were definitely some people that were frustrated, um, supporters that were frustrated. But what helped, I think, were, were, was there were a number of different bills that were in a similar situation. The bourbon barrel tax bill, for example, uh, was, was in a similar position. And I think lawmakers were able to 
you know, use both of those bills and maybe some other things that were happening behind the scenes to come to an agreement on a, a, a wide, you know, a, a, a wide array of legislation that allowed these things to go through. So, you know, it, it, it was a little, it was a surprise in the fact that, you know, it happened that late. Also a little bit of a surprise since sports betting includes a new tax during a, uh, during a short session, it requires a, a 60, a, a 60% majority, three fifths majority. And we weren't sure if that was going to be the, um, if that was attainable in the Senate, but when uh, president Stivers came on board that last day of the session that helped take it over the top there. So it, you know, it, it, it's something that's been popular. It's something that people have wanted across the state for years, really since the Supreme court uh, overturned PASPA, mm -hmm. but yeah, it was still, there still seemed to be a little bit of a holdout from, from some people uh, across the state for whatever reason. And that was, it was, it was refreshing to see that, you know, people uh, understood that, you know, the residents want this lawmakers understood that residents wanted this and, you know, finally agreed to uh, pass it so that we can have it hopefully uh, in place later this year. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you why you think it passed this time when it didn't previously was, was part of the reason because now what is it? Six of the seven bordering States of Kentucky now with Ohio coming on board have, mm -hmm. uh, have uh, some form of legalized sports gambling. Was it finally that people decided, Hey, too much money is going over the border and being bet in other States. They're getting that tax revenue or was there some, why when Kentucky should be getting that revenue, or was there another reason you think of why it passed this time when it didn't previously? I think some peer pressure definitely helped. I, I for years, I mean, Indiana's had it since 2019. Tennessee's had it, I believe, since late 2020. The, so th those two states, you know, have been you know big go-to places for Kentucky residents for years. You know, to a lesser extent, Illinois and West Virginia ha have had it as well, and, and there's been some seepage there as well. Virginia came on late, um, at, but yeah, when when Ohio came on, <clears throat> and you and you gave Northern Kentucky uh, residents a, a a second option there, it really kind of you know made people realize that Kentucky was very close to being on an island um, compared to everyone else. So I think that definitely helped, and you know it, it's now a chance for Kentucky, as you said, to. Uh, to recoup some of that uh, lost uh, tax revenue and use it toward uh, paying down its uh, public pension um, under funding. Uh, I want to dive more into the legalized sports gambling with Steve, and we'll do it right after this break. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, back here with Steve Bittenbender of BetKentucky.com. As I said, Steve is the go-to guy about legalized sports gambling, horse racing gambling, any anything uh, that has to do with that. Steve, 
on this legalized sports gambling. I saw where Andy Bashir, Governor Bashir, said I think a couple of weeks ago uh, they would still like to have everything in place and up and running by the start of the NFL season. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I know the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission has to set the guidelines or restrictions for it. Where, where do you think that all stands right now? Well, the earliest that they will be able to officially work on implementing any rules or guidelines is uh, toward the end of this month. I believe it's June 28th uh-huh. is the, the, the date. that, And that's by uh, um, by state statute. Um, most state laws that do not have an emergency clause um, are enacted 90 days after the session ends. So that's toward the end of this month. So, but that hasn't stopped um, the uh, Governor Bashir's office or the uh, Horse Racing Commission from doing some behind the scenes work. I know they've talked with uh, regulators from other states about what they have done in the past. Uh, Governor Bashir mentioned uh, even that uh, New Jersey officials have uh, provided some advice or were going to provide some advice to the commission. So, that was, uh, you know, so they, they're working behind the scenes right now. And if they're able to put together some emergency regulations, which despite the name, uh, it, it's short term regulations that can be used while the more permanent regulations are being put in place. Okay. If they're able to put together some of these emergency regulations that would allow them to do uh, the, the licensing process there is a, a, a possibility that they could be ready by the start of NFL, the NFL season or early in the NFL season. I'm not as sure about online sports betting as I am the, the brick and mortar, the, the in-person sports betting that would be able to take place at tracks and satellite facilities. The, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, in, um, the online, you have some technical issues that have to be done with, with the apps based on the regulations within the state and with you know within the physical jurisdiction within the physical boundaries of the state so that may take a little bit longer but i wouldn't be surprised to see uh, in-person sports betting at tracks uh, definitely you know um you know closer in the fall um you know during the uh, during the starting nfl season and, and as you say, uh, and people probably know this, but not everybody knows this if they've read about it, is that the, uh, uh, the way the law is set up, the tracks, the sports betting apps or sports bet, the sports books, uh, the track has to partner with those, correct? And yes. the only way that you will be able to bet on sports gambling, uh, legalized sports gambling on sports in Kentucky is either at the track, at the satellite facility, or, or on an app, right, that is affiliated with the track. I know uh, Keeneland has yeah. announced a deal with Caesars. Uh, but, yeah, just explain a little bit about how that works. Sure. Uh, besides the uh, in-person sports books that would be at the tracks in the satellite facilities, um, the new law allows each of the nine racetracks to partner with up to three uh, sports betting operators. And it's in, in gambling terms, uh, they're called skins, uh, but they're basically three sports betting affiliates uh, for each track. Keeneland and Red Mile, as you said, have partnered already with Caesars, so they will have um, five more, really, if they if they so choose. Um, 
to, uh, to, to, to utilize. And Churchill Downs will have three at its track, three at Turfway, three at Oak Grove, three at Atlas. Kentucky Downs will have three at its track, Revolutionary will have three for its track at Ashland, and then the, the Corbin track will have three as well. I don't expect um, 27, all 27 licenses to be used. If you look at uh, Ohio, Ohio, I think, has 16 or 17 operating right now. Really? Indiana, the state law there allows for up to 39 when the uh, it'll be 39 when the new Churchill Downs Casino opens in Terre Haute next year. Right now, they have 13 or 14 operators. So I would imagine probably a number closer to the 10 or 12 range okay. initially. And then you may, if something new comes uh, comes along uh, later on down the road, you may see some uh, some newcomers down the line. But I would say probably the 8 to 10, 10 to 12 range uh, would be probably the initial market for this state. And, you know, there'll be, you know, some of your top names will definitely be interested. As you mentioned, Caesars already has has interest. FanDuel does have an agreement with with Churchill Downs, uh, but they've not necessarily announced um, an actual um, an actual partnership or or when when they may launch or or which track they'll be affiliated with. But you know we should be hearing some more of these partnerships here in the not too distant future once the uh, once the law officially takes effect. And from what I've read, both by you and other people, uh, this the vast majority of the sports legal uh, the sports betting is done on uh, by on on apps, right on people's phones. Right. If you take a look at um, the uh, handle totals that are happening in in Ohio and in in Indiana, Ohio, it's pretty much ninety nine percent of. Uh, of the sports betting is taking place. And, and, and this is even though they, you know, Ohio has, you know, 14 uh, retail sports books. I think 14, I think it's 14 uh, retail sports books, somewhere in that number. Uh, they have, they have one at great American ballpark. They have one next to um, FC Cincinnati stadium, they have one at hard rock Cincinnati. There, you know, there are other casinos, racinos and sporting, uh, sporting venues in Ohio that have them. But, you know, when you when you're able to bet on your phone and you're able to bet while you're watching the game, you know, from your house or from your you know, you know local you know sport uh, sports bar, it, it makes it a lot easier and, and the convenience factor is, is a lot easier for people. And there's typically a, a wider array of bets that you can do online compared to uh, going to a sports book. And one thing in, in talking to people and whatever it too is that the on the legalized sports betting that is a there almost seems to be a generational divide that the while horse racing attracts an older group of bettors uh, a younger generation the younger generation is more apt to bet on uh, the legalized sports betting I would guess part of that it's because and use their phone to do so I guess because they have grown up using their phones uh, so it's easier for them to do that as well um, but is that is that true? Is it? Uh, uh, it's very popular among younger generation. Yes, and and also you take a look at who the top two uh, sports betting operators are in the, in, in the country. It, it it's no secret that FanDuel and DraftKings 
you know, made their money, came to fame, you know, in the past decade because of the fantasy sports craze. And they were able to bring it, you know, bring it online and, you know, really nationalize it and allow people to play against each other across the country. So they were able to leverage the audiences they built from their daily fantasy games and convert those people into uh, into sports bettors. And as you said, those people t- uh, typically skew younger. Uh, although sports betting does attract a, a a larger male audience, and and you know you will see people in their forties and fifties that will take part of this as take part in this as well. But it, you're mostly going to see uh, see it skew toward the uh, the younger audience. Uh, that's that's going to be their uh, th- their primary audience for for the time being as it starts here in the state. Uh, you mentioned about the brick and mortar. I know Keeneland, their uh, in person sports betting facility will be at the Red Mile. I think uh, in talking to the people there, they're redoing the cl- the old Red Mile clubhouse, which will be where you can go and bet in person. Uh, but it's also you have the Red Mile, you have the historical horse racing, you have it's a gaming hall there at Red Mile. Mm-hmm. Do you, how will the two coexist? You think will the legalized sports betting hurt historical horse racing in Kentucky, or is it two separate uh, audiences and there's not going to be a lot of uh, uh, cross back and forth between the two? There's probably not going to be a lot of cross between the two. Uh, Typically, those who play uh, play horse racing or those who even play historical horse racing gravitate toward those games. Uh, the younger crowd is not as well-versed in uh, parimutuel wagering um, as they are, you know, fixed odds with sports betting. You may see some um, crossover I'm not. I'm not necessarily expecting much. Uh-huh. If if the state were to eventually look at the potential for going to fix odds horse racing, similar to what New Jersey is experimenting with now uh, with uh, Monmouth Park, you may have some opportunity for some crossover there. Uh, I know FanDuel also is is trying to introduce its uh, its players. FanDuel and, and DraftKings as well are, are they're trying to introduce their their players um, into horse racing, and it's had some effect on uh, on the Triple Crown races. But we need to see more. We need to see more data there, and um, I think we need to see a a full, you know, a, a, a full season of horse racing to see if it's something that could generate interest across, you know. Across the tracks and, and for a wide variety of races, or if it would just be for the big signature events like the Triple Crown, the Breeders' Cup, the Travers, and so on and so forth. Right. So overall, do you think sports betting will help or hurt horse racing? I think it will. Um, I, I it will help. Um, I'm not sure if it will help as much as some people may think. Really. Um, the tracks will be part. Obviously, the tracks will be partners right. with the operators. Um, those arrangements usually aren't made public, but while the tracks will get a share of of that, it, it's probably not going to be as big a share as some people would imagine. Okay, um, but they, but they will be able. You know, the tracks will be able to to leverage 
that information in, in those individuals and, and try to market them so that, you know, when Churchill Downs resumes and does Downs after dark, you know, they would have hopefully some additional people to to market that to. Or when Keeneland starts up, it's it's fall meet um, um, that, that, you know, they will have additional people that will will come from Caesars that they could say, hey, come out here, experience you know, a, a great day of racing at a great venue and potentially get them to uh, eventually become repeat customers. Right, right. And and maybe expose horse racing to a section of fans that hadn't really not, that does sports gambling, but hasn't really paid much attention to horse racing in the past. Right, right. I'm sure that's the goal. <laughs> One of the goals. Yeah, exactly. It, it is. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sure we could do it, a, another show, you know, about um, the the needs of horse racing. But, right. you know, it, it is a little harder, um, you know, looking at it from the sports betting, you know, world. You know, you have you have known entities within sports betting, you know, the Cincinnati Reds, the Cincinnati Bengals, right. UK, UVL. Indiana, uh, so on and so forth. People know those. Right. Horse racing, you may know Bob Baffert, you may know some of the jockeys, but these horses, they, you know, the horses maybe stay around for a year or two. They race, you know, maybe six times a year or so, at, if that. Right. It, it's hard to generate that much interest. You know, take a look at two fills. Two fills had. Um, a great run in the Kentucky Derby. Didn't um, ha- hasn't run since. I think it's going to be running in the Ohio Derby coming up. Mm-hmm. You know, people will you know lose lose interest. They'll you know the, right. they'll they'll follow other things. And by the time they may realize, oh hey wait a minute, this horse I followed in the Derby is running. You know, it, it, it's probably too late for them to to get on to an ADW app and, and make a wager. Right. 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 Well, it's going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out. Is there anything in particular that we should be looking for next? I guess it is when the the horse racing commission will they announce their restrictions and guidelines, or will they that just be kind of fold into when the tracks announce that uh, hey we're we're live for sports gambling? They the, what may happen is if the executive director is allowed to approve emergency regulations, that may open the door for applications to start coming in and some of these partnerships to be announced. And then similar to what has happened with uh, the issues at Churchill Downs, the uh, Kentucky horse racing commission, the commissioners themselves would probably then come behind during a, during a meeting and officially approve the actions that were taken by staff. Okay. So it's possible they may, it's possible the commission may, do that up front, but it wouldn't surprise me if if they extend that authority to to the commission staff and then follow behind to kind of help expedite the process. Well, whenever that happens or leading up to that, you should be sure and follow Steve's work because he'll be all over it. Steve, tell people where they can find you on Twitter and remind them again where they can find your work online. Sure. Um, my uh, Twitter handle is bit, B-I-T-T, GDCG, that's short for gambling.com group, BitGDCG. And you can find my articles uh, at betkentucky.com. We'll be having art, we post articles, you know, throughout, uh, you know, throughout the month. So, and we cover 
not just sports betting, but you know, a wide array of gambling issues. It's really the go-to source to find out what's happening here in the state. And he's not kidding about that. He is the go-to source. Steve, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, John, for, for the invite and look forward to talking again soon. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the John Clay Podcast. My thanks to Steve Wittenbender of BetKentucky.com. Be sure and check out all of his work about both sports gambling, thoroughbred racing, any sort of gambling issues in Kentucky. He does a great job covering all of that. Uh, appreciate Steve hopping on the podcast. Appreciate everybody who listens to the podcast. Reminder, leave us a rating and review. Reminder to follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV and check out my work in on Kentucky.com and in the Lexington Arrow Leader. Thanks again to Steve. Thanks again to everybody for listening. We'll talk to you next time on the John Clay Podcast.